please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Scott Colglazer tells the story of John Crabtree, a veteran who was living a quiet life alone on a small farm. Crabtree had been permanently disabled in service and depended upon his government pension for survival. His pension allowed him to raise a decent garden and care for the animals he loved. It wasn't a bad life. Crabtree was deeply disturbed one day, though, to receive a letter from the federal government informing him that he was now considered deceased and his pension would cease. The man quickly wrote back to the government, a short alive, it did no good. And he tried calling them, but again, to no avail. Finally, Crabtree tried a different route. He contacted a local television station and told them his story. The reporter who interviewed him asked, how do you feel about this whole situation? It has to be frustrating. And Crabtree quickly replied, oh, it most certainly is. Have you ever tried to prove to anyone that you're actually alive? The resurrection seems like such an awesome and unbelievable thing, one that makes no sense to so many in our world, and yet it is the central tenet of Christianity. On this, our whole faith is built, that God in Christ has somehow overcome the powers of evil and death. And yet, like Thomas and those other first disciples, we struggle to grasp the magnitude of it all. How could anyone die and then rise to life again, life that never ends? One of the things that my mother began to do when my sister had just little children was to tell stories as she cooked. She was especially intent on doing so around the holidays. As mom would make a particular salad or side dish or dessert, she would tell us the story of the recipe that she was using. All of them had been handed down through our family for generations. There was our great aunt's macaroni and cheese at Thanksgiving, our great grandma's German apple cake at Christmas, great grandma's black eyed peas at New Year's, and grandma's lemon pound cake at Easter. Each dish had a story that spanned the years and connected us with those who had gone before us, most of whom we had never met. In those stories, in those recipes, loved ones who were long gone became physically present with us. When we sat down at table to feast, they were there with us, living, risen, and present in an unbroken circle in which no one was truly gone. I think that's the truth to which these post-resurrection stories of Jesus point us. The disciples believed that Jesus had died and was gone forever, but the truth is that even death itself could not hold the power of love 
embodied in Jesus. Rising to life again, Christ appears to the disciples not in resplendent glory, but in the common, ordinary, everyday, mundane act of eating on the Emmaus Road and now in the upper room. They struggle to believe that it's real, that Jesus is truly there with them, but each time it's in the act of taking food in hand that the disciples recognize the risen Christ. Just as we heard today, it isn't enough just to recognize the risen Christ, to want to dwell in the presence of this beloved teacher. The risen Christ asked the disciples to get up from those tables and go out into a world that is still filled with so much suffering. They are asked to take on the awesome task of bringing reconciliation and healing to that world. For the same God who defied death is the one who has been striving for justice and peace and wholeness from the very beginning. We catch a glimpse of those rejuvenated disciples in the reading from Acts. Luke tells us they saw this person who was suffering physically, and they reached out to that person, offering healing and wholeness. They did not first seek to proclaim a message about the resurrection in words, but rather to recognize and comfort one who was struggling. And it was in that act of healing that was proclaimed the truth of the resurrection. And that opened the door for Peter to speak about what God was doing in, through, and among them. The writer of 1 John puts it another way. It is difficult for those of us who live in this world to recognize that we are beloved children of God. That God cares for each and every one of us, especially when there seems to be so much hatred in this world. The writer argues that by following the way of Jesus, by living with humility and compassion, disciples can become more and more like Jesus and thereby make real the presence of the living risen Christ in a world that is so desperately yearning for it. Eating with and touching the risen Christ makes the resurrection real. For those first disciples. And such acts of intimacy continue to make the risen Christ real in our lives and in our world. Each time we share in study and song, story and sacrament, we catch glimpses of the one whom death could not defeat. We are strengthened through those experiences to go forth into the world, into the places where hatred and poverty and hunger and homelessness and discrimination and violence continue to hold the children of God bound in the clutches of death and to be the living body of Jesus Christ in those places. Share grace or even just an honest and open conversation with one another makes us real to one another. It allows us to honestly share our struggles and our successes, our hurts and our hopes. And it's in those moments that we come to see the common threads 
that bind us to each other in the body of Christ and to the whole human family. In those moments, we can and do incarnate the hope of the resurrection for each other. The world is filled with so much hatred and fear and violence right now. Their cold grip on the, our lives is choking the life out of us. It's becoming harder and harder to hold on to that hope when it seems like every day brings the story of another devastating shooting, another infuriating act of brutality at the hands of public officials, or another painful act of prejudice. As Christians, we try to speak words of truth, to stand with those who are suffering, to advocate for changes in policy and practice that will make such awful acts less frequent. But the hope to which we strive to point seems further and further away. How do we proclaim the truth of resurrection, of transformation and renewal in the midst of such a world? I think these stories of resurrection, appearances from the Gospels, remind us of a truth to which we ourselves must cling in this struggle. The risen Christ does not rise in resplendent glory or arrive with a host of angels to proclaim the ultimate defeat of evil and death. No, the risen one came quietly alongside the frightened and disillusioned disciples, bearing the wounds of the crucifixion and sitting down at table with them. The risen Christ sat with them in their pain and their anxiety, not trying to fix everything, but simply being present with them in their struggles. It was that wounded presence that brought new life to the disciples and that became the ultimate testimony to the resurrection itself. What would it look like in our lives and in our world if we focused more on those intimate acts of solidarity with those who are hurting? What if we sought to sit with one through the grief and the loss? It doesn't mean that we stop speaking truth to power or that we cease advocating for change. Those are central to the mission of building the beloved community of God's reign in this world. But they're also the actions that leave us feeling so drained and despairing. We ourselves need to regularly reconnect with the power of the resurrection, with the risen one who comes among us with visible wounds and asks to share a meal with us. In those quiet moments of openness and honesty, we can more, once more experience the new life rising up among us and be infused again with the Holy Spirit to continue the work for justice. Amen.